0: Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 332. This is the show where we share cutting-edge strategies and acquiring leads and sales for your business through paid traffic. But we also talk about the conversion side of the equation. And the guy that we have on this week's show is absolutely a tremendous speaker. He spoke at Traffic and Conversion Summit The title of his talk just alone, I think, drew in probably the largest crowd, second only maybe to Martha Stewart. Maybe he actually outdrew Martha Stewart. I would have to sort of double check on the stats on that one. But how to double your revenue this year without adding more work or more customers. That sounds pretty good to me. He's going to be talking about how he did it. And um, Lamar Tyler is this week's guest, who I interviewed inside the Scooby-Doo van on the grounds of Traffic and Conversion Summit. And it's a hell of an interview. So um, speaking of Traffic and Conversion Summit, we are giving away five free recordings of Traffic and Conversion Summit. Even if you did go to the show, uh, if you were there, I saw a lot of perpetual traffic listeners, which was awesome and it was great to talk with them and chat and uh, get caught up. A lot of people I haven't seen in quite some time. If you did go or if you didn't go, you have a chance of getting all the recordings for all three days. Even if you did go, you would still be missing all the other recordings on the other stages while you're going to the first stage. The point is, is it's three full days of recordings and my awesome co-host is buying you, the Perpetual Traffic listener, five recordings at 300 bucks a pop. All you need to do is send a screenshot of a positive review on iTunes of this show here, hopefully positive, hopefully honest, at Ralph HB, that's R L P H H B. There's an extra H in there. Send me a screenshot and we'll pick five lucky listeners and give away those Traffic and Conversion Summit recordings free to you. All we ask is an honest review on iTunes, screenshot it, send it over to Ralph HB on Twitter, and boom, you are entered to win A free recording of Traffic and Conversion Summit. So we will get right into the interview with Lamar Tyler right after this quick break.
1: You're listening to Perpetual Traffic.
0: Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. We are still recording from the floor of Traffic and Conversion Summit here in sunny San Diego. My co-host, Qasem Aslam, is hanging backstage with Snoop Dogg, so he will not be here for today's show. Lucky him sharing that bottle of Cristal with him, and I think I definitely got the short end of the stick on that deal, but he's really working. But I'm actually having all the fun over here in the Scooby-Doo van because I've got a guy here that I think you're really going to enjoy listening to who has taken a very different path to build a really profitable business targeting, as we always talk about, niching down to scaling up to a certain degree. Although this is a large niche we're talking about here today, I've got the CEO and founder of Traffic Sales and Profit, Lamar Tyler, who is going to be speaking tomorrow here at Traffic and Conversion Summit. Welcome to Perpetual Traffic.
2: man. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. So, you know, I think we love having people on this show that have a different take on how to figure this online digital marketing stuff out. And I know that you're a student of Ryan Dice and digital marketer and came up through the ranks, obviously some Infusionsoft background as well, but sort of tell me how you started, how this evolved into a profitable business here and know what you're doing now to serve your ideal customer and we'll sort of take you the listener sort of back through his entire story step by step figure out ways in which you can maybe draw from this and and also do the same kind of thing have you built community to build what's really profitable and enjoyable and obviously delivering a tremendous amount of value for your customers
2: sure well it's all about what you just talked about that word you said community yeah. and with us it started with a blog believe it or not in december 2007 We wanted to promote, encourage, equip positive images of marriage in the African-American community. So we started a site and it quickly took off. And by taking off, we began to leverage social media. We began to create more content. And we found that the best way to really take care of people was to build community and have them where they can engage and interact with us, where they can engage and interact with each other. They could know that we had their best intentions in mind, right? Because I think that's that's very important. As we begin to think about, you know, who we market to and how we market to them and even more so today than it was back in 2007, because today people have been jaded by so many things. They bought so many things online and it could have been an info product. It could have been a dress They said it was a size large, but really came in a size small. Mm-hmm. Right. So so they're looking at us through a different lens. But, but we started that site around marriage, it, it took off. We started selling physical products. And for us, that was documentary films and then later eBooks, audio books, courses, workshops, cruises, all types of things. But in the process of that, two things happened. Number one, we learned how to sell. And we learned how to sell and market online by doing a lot of things wrong. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until we started coming to conferences like Traffic and Conversion Summit that we started to really understand what it meant to not just serve a million different people, but to serve someone, serve them well and serve them over and over again to increase the average order value at purchase point, to increase the customer lifetime value along the path. And the other thing that happened is that we were growing a very public brand. We were servicing over a million readers uh, organic every quarter. At the time, we weren't doing paid advertising yet like we do today. We had over half a million people on the Facebook page. So people saw us building from just a husband and wife working at home. I say we had a bedroom business because we built in the corner of our master bedroom. They saw us grow from that to us having editors, us having 40 plus writers, us doing you know, live events and having people coming out. And they started to ask the question that most people always ask is, can you teach me how to do it? Can you show us how to do it? Mm-hmm. Can we pay you to you know, show us how to, how to build what you built? So we started a new brand called Traffic Sales and Profit, but we didn't forget the number one lesson we learned from that original brand, which was to start with community.
0: I mean, it sounds all great now. I mean, but (laughs) back in 2007, like to start a Facebook group, to start a blog, to actually get people to follow what you're doing, like, what would you say to people that are saying, well, that's great that Lamar did that, but that's a long road? I mean, the average blogger, still, I think the statistic is like it lasts like two to three months. The average podcast lasts two to three months because you don't really ever get past that point or that tipping point where you start to get enough traffic to make it an actual community. So what what sort of things would you would you say to people that say, yeah, that's nice, but what's the key to it all?
2: Well, that, that's that's a great question. And it's excellent because we didn't even start. We started on MySpace. Does anybody nah. listen? Remember My <laughs> MySpace? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> but we started on MySpace, and, and going back now, what I, what I teach and train and, and talk about now is that really is so much easier for a host of reasons. For one, you can tap into. Information and podcasts and things like this to get the breadcrumbs and just follow the path But beyond that when I look now, I'm just looking at number one Like what are the challenges and problems people are facing, Mm -hmm. you know? How's my product or service or my clients product or service help overcome those challenges? How can we get in front of them and and present it in a way that they have what I call a head nod factor? When I'm speaking to somebody's problems or pain points, I want that head nodding the whole time Mm -hmm. where they say hey guess what? He or she understands exactly where I am exactly what I'm going through and what they're talking about sounds like it can actually fix that. And then once I get a hold of that, now I just want to get in front of as many people as possible. And and we do that a lot through paid traffic now. You know, coming into it, we learned a lot of lessons. One of the lessons I learned at one point was that we could basically pour gasoline on the whole thing because we knew where our customer and client were. We just need to get in front of more of them. Mm-hmm. And, and for a long time, we didn't because we had so much organic growth coming through. But it really was a conversation I had myself one day where I said, well... I've eaten at this place called McDonald's, probably more than I should have. But I said, guess what? They're pretty big. Most people know them around the world, but they advertise. Mm-hmm. I said, I've worn Nike shoes. Guess what? Nike has what? Like something like a 95, 96, 97% share of the basketball, men's shoe mm-hmm. basketball market. Mm-hmm. But do they advertise? Yes. Like like all these titans, Amazon now. I see an Amazon advertisement every day. So if these companies that everyone knows all around the world have to advertise And as a small business owner, why don't I? And when I took that kind of shift around the way I thought about it, it -hmm. changed everything. And we went from selling like a little bit of products every day to a lot of products every day. And and now, you know, I still tell people, let's get back to the core of who are you serving? What's the challenge? How does what you serve overcome that challenge? Mm -hmm. Let's get super clear around that. And then let's do two things, right? Do some type of paid traffic to get people to them quickly, but then also incorporate a community with it so that once they come in, you can maximize them, you can get them to know, like, and trust you, and it can accelerate everything that you're doing.
0: So, you started off with a blog, right? And yep. this is in the marriage and parenting space. Correct. So, targeting the African
2: American community, yeah.
0: Okay, community. So, like, how did it, like take us through like those first kind of steps? Like, Did you start the blog in 2007? Was it before that? Like, what were the first couple of months like? why did you choose that niche specifically like what sure like why
2: so we did start it in december 2007 we said hey let's create a site for one that people would read mm-hmm. you know there are writers that just love to it's in my soul it's in my spirit i just want to write even if no one's read i can't do that i need some somebody has to be reading that content at the end of the day yeah so Is it first they're not exactly right so so we said before we start writing let's think about things that people like to talk about and discuss so okay. we said relationships then we said, let's dig a little bit deeper because relationships is too broad. We said marriage. We mm-hmm. said, let's dig even deeper. And we said, okay, let's talk about and write about marriage in the African-American community, how others how others view it outside of the community, how we view it ourselves. And let's dig deeper into it. So when we got that and we niched all the way down, and a lot of times people said, well, you know, you can just talk about all marriage or broad marriage. You said, no, what we want to do is pick a very narrow niche and we want to dominate that niche. Mm-hmm. And, and we became like the go-to brand around that. So when... Some of America's largest brands, Disney, Pampers, Haynes, Fisher-Price. We did work with the Ministry of Tourism for the Bahamas. When they wanted to reach African-American families or African-American moms, they came through us because we dominated that niche. Mm. And it really was a process of, it, it grew relatively fast. And the reason it did is, again, because we knew we were in a niche that was underserved. so we went into that market and we said hey successful marriages and families exist in this community we had married couples that said, we've been married 20 30 40 years we never see ourselves represented on tv in the news in the media we had singles that said hey my parents were married 40 50 years and i never see them i never see couples like them shown right on tv when i open up the newspapers and listen to the radio Mm -hmm. so again we were speaking to a very specific need that was there when we started creating content and not just creating anything right for everybody listening for you and your clients, you creating great content that spoke directly to those pain points. Everything began to grow. Everything began to take off. But the main things we had to do: number one, we had to be consistent. Number two, we had to create great content. Mm-hmm. Number three, we had to be creative, right? What what can we do, and how can we create? What can we do, and how can we create it in a way that's different from what everybody else is doing, so that we stand out? Mm-hmm. And when we had those first three C's—consistency, uh, the great content, creativity—the fourth C that we brought into was culture. And that's where that tribe and that community comes in. We begin to build a culture where, you know, people came into that culture that were negative or against the values and things that we talked about. The community themselves would point the person out and move them out of the group. And really, I think that's what's missing a lot of times when we try to be so transactional. Mm. What we're missing is the actual culture and building a a real community and tribe around the things that we do. Got it.
0: Super interesting. I mean, I'm obviously not an African-American. But it's like what you're talking about here is even from a a white guy's outsider viewpoint, it's like I watch 30 for 30. I'm like on a 30 for 30 pin. It seems (laughs) like it's all, it's obviously it's origination stories for a lot of black athletes and they don't come from, you know, the traditional, you know, mom and dad, very, very, you know, very few exceptions. It's like, like from a Caucasian male outsider's viewpoint, I can see exactly like what it is that you're talking about. That's an incredibly underserved community because all the African pre- American friends that I have are all, you know, are not like that. But the media, the portrayal is very different. Exactly. And so, I mean, I can even see that as a, as a niche that you can figure you figured this out in 2007. I mean, yeah. there must've been, if it's rare today, it must've been even more rare back, you know, 13, 14 years ago when you guys
2: were first starting. It was and what it looked like and how it manifested in our business. We originally did advertising. Like I said, big brands and companies would come to us and then, you know, we would connect them to our audience because we had a large, large audience of people that that trusted us and believed in us. And we were, you know, blog influencers at the time. Mm -hmm. What it morphed into from there is I had a friend who said, Hey, you've got to create product. Right? He said, mm-hmm. like, you, you drive a lot of traffic, like, what happens? And I'm like, you know, we drive a lot of traffic. Not everyone sticks, but a percentage of the people stick, and then we, we sell more ads. Mm-hmm. But then he kept asking, like, what happens after that? And I, you know, give him another piece, what happens after that? And he said, you have to have your own product so that you can kind of own that relationship more with the actual customer instead of just selling that to somebody else. And when Got he it. said that, what I realized was that the more we tried to serve the brands and the more we turned towards the brands, we actually turned away from the people that were coming for the actual content. Ah,
0: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, so cause it sounded
2: good at first. It though, sounded like, Hey, this is monetization. Great. Yeah, but but what we had to realize is that with the money, we had to start creating content that was more catered towards the people that were paying us. Gotcha. Instead of the people that we were supposed As to be to serving. going to buy Pampers. Exactly. Exactly. So they probably needed it anyway, but they probably need it, it but that, help that may not have been the most important thing for us to talk about. They so may that was your a, first monetization strategy. Yeah, that was the first monetization strategy. We okay. we got a hold of creating products. Like I said, we had this crazy idea to do documentary films. The first doc I did, I, I bought an old SD camera. Like I said, this is a long time ago. So younger people listen, I'm sorry. They're like, When the, <laughs> the world is an SD camera? So it's a good camera back then. <laughs> right. yeah. The guy he had done documentaries, he was upgrading the HD, he sold me his old SD camera. And I was going to shoot some content for the actual website. My wife said, Lamar, I think you can do this. I think you can go out. So every day after work for two weeks, I went out and just interviewed couples. I bought $50 worth of software from Best Buy mm-hmm. and loaded it on my machine and learned how to edit. Very I use that term very loosely because I hate to look at the original product now, but mm-hmm. learned how to edit. And, and we created our very first film. And then for the next five years, we released a new film every single year. I ended up releasing two more. So, like I said, seven in total. But when we had product, then we began to really learn how to market. And the other thing we learned is that we were basically selling away our influence to other people. They were coming to us and paying us because we had influence with our community, but we weren't using it enough for ourselves. And Mm -hmm. when we got our own product, then we could serve the community even better because we literally were making exactly what they needed in these films, in these documentaries. And we were telling the stories like you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. There were underserved stories that weren't being told so all of a sudden a husband and wife that no one knows for the most part we can time i live in the dc area I'm from the dc area we could do a screening in dc to where we would buy independent theaters do screenings we had to stop doing screenings in dc because none of the theaters could hold us so we went to neighboring prince george's county we went out the public playhouse in chevrolet maryland we do 500 plus for a screening they set up folding chairs down the aisle i said look like church on easter sunday and then we'd add additional shows we go to Chicago, and, and again, right, we looked at the data. We look at our website and our blog. We look at Google Analytics and say, where do we have audience at? Mm-hmm. Those are the places we're going to do the actual tour. So we go to Chicago and do screenings and do multiple-week runs. We go to Houston, to Texas, to Atlanta, to Baltimore, to St. Louis, right? And we were going around the country and doing this. And every time we released a movie, not only did we get become better at storytelling, we became better at marketing. We became better at how we actually presented the problems and talked to the actual clients and, and people, individuals that were coming out watching the film. Mm-hmm. And then we began to learn, too, how not to just have one product, but how to extend that relationship. Got so it. the first movie, we sold a DVD, and then we had some t-shirts. Mm-hmm. By movie, four, five, six, and seven, if you had the movie, right, we did a, a six-figure pre-sale on one of the films. And we did it because we had a bundle where it was a DVD, it was a, a e-book that came along with it, and besides the DVD and e-book, there was like another digital product, right? Because we came to Traffic and Conversion and I heard uh, Roland or Perry or, or Ryan talk about, hey, when you have a physical product, increase the value with a digital product. Sure. So we created that bundle, did a pre-sale for it. In addition to that, then we started having courses. Then we would have a funnel. And through the funnel, we would upsell to either our products or products of people we joint ventured with. So it just became an entire process. And like I said, it, it was great, but it took too long to learn all of Like we really right. did it the hard way. We should have connected with uh, more people that had the, the solutions, people that were further along than us, but we learned everything on our own. So we got there, but we should have got there in half the time. And if we would have, we could have taken advantage of more. And, and if it's one message I can leave for everybody, it's to not make the assumption that what's available today will be available tomorrow. At the time where a lot of this explosive growth was happening, it was happening because Facebook was wide open. Right. If I like something and I like the page on Facebook, it would show all my friends, hey, Lamar likes this page. Mm-hmm. And if they're my friends, most likely they have an affinity to like that page too. Sure. When we post it on the actual Facebook page, they would show it to everybody that liked the page. So right. it just became a content race of how much content can we post? Because every time we post, it's going to be seen by 20, 30, 40,000 people. Sure. Things change. Mm. And, and we yes, learned they that. Do. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that. Yeah. Well.
0: Unfortunately, yeah, organic is really sort of a thing of the past, but you figured out a way around that. I mean, the, the just taking you through the monetization strategy, the documentaries, the showings in all these individual cities, you're doing individual showings, touring around the country. The monetization strategy is to sell tickets for the documentary. Is that at that point so that in was, these showings or no? That was the entryway. Okay.
2: So in most time, we sell tickets. You know, They will offset the cost of the venue and advertising and things like that. Right. for a portion of it, but at the actual screenings, package up and sell our DVDs as well, because we have physical DVDs ah, and discs. Okay. So we make more of it off of that, and the, the beauty of it was because people knew I can't just go and watch this on HBO, but when they see great content, when you see a great movie, what do you do? You want to tell other people, sure. they would have to actually buy the movie to show it to other people. So then we really promoted a lifestyle of, hey, you get this movie, you go home, and you do a screening in your home, where more people mm-hmm. can actually watch it, more people can enjoy it. And spread the word through social media, take pictures, post it, tag us. We'll, we'll promote it and share everything like that. Okay. And then in addition to that, what we started to do was think of outside of the box, what else can we do? I went to a film festival and they had a session on product placement. And I said, okay, Coke's not going to pay me to put you know a can of Coke in the background mm-hmm. of my documentary. Like That's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But what we did is we had experts in every film. So I went to book publishers and said, hey, do you have experts to speak specifically to marriage around these topics? Uh. And we found a publisher, for example, that said, hey, I do I have an author coming out with a marriage book, you know, right around the same quarter. Mm-hmm. And they paid us And the product placement was the actual expert to put them in the film. So we put them in the film, pull out a couple bullets for on air, on screen text. Mm-hmm. And then when we went on tour, we take the expert with us, get them a few minutes before we showed our own trailers in our movie. And then they'd be set up out in the lobby to sell books, to you know, create testimonials and things like that along the way. So it's still thinking outside the box to got where are all the ways we can really monetize this and drive it home.
0: Got it. It's the secret model, to a certain <laughs> degree. You know, all those got like all those guys that were in that movie, obviously, you know, pretty popular movie that was exact the exact monetization strategy that they used. And now there are a lot of you know that movie in essence made them. So yep. I'm sure you probably have a lot of you know individual authors who are singing your graces because you
2: helped launch their careers we did should obviously helping monetize the entire documentary we series. did you know and some something else i learned along that path is how powerful video is mm. because with video when we shared something on the screen and it was emotional and people were in that room the way they cried mm. somebody said something that was mildly funny the way people laughed right and and it's something that may have been lacking over the last year too because we haven't had the same level of connection that we have But when people are in a room, the emotion of that room is something special. Mm -hmm. So we really had to look at, okay, how are we telling these stories? What can we do? We had one of our sponsors was an actual DNA company, African Ancestry. And African Ancestry would run a 30-second promo before um, the actual film started. We ran our trailers. At the end, we would have the CEO, Dr. Gina Page, come up and she would speak for five or 10 minutes talking about what they do and, and how they can connect you to your past and show you where, where you are in the world, things like that. And then they were able to sell two and $300 DNA kits in the lobby of the actual film screening. Hmm. And that was not the original, the original intention was just brand awareness. Hey, we are coming on tour with you guys cause you guys serve our audience right. It's the demographic and psychographic data. But again, it shows like the power of getting the right people in the right niche, in the right place with that right message. Mm-hmm. Nobody comes to a movie expecting, "Hey, I'm gonna drop three hundred dollars on the way out (laughs) in the lobby, right on the DNA test." But again, it shows the power of you know video, community connection, all those things come together. And the
0: content was just so people are clear on this was was showing healthy African American marriage relationships, tips. Like, what was it specifically? I don't think we really great great
2: question because we had to learn how to create better content. In the beginning, it just was couples telling their stories. But then as we evolved, we need to speak more to that pain point again. So we went from just kind of the entertainment of couples telling their stories to uh, we did a film called Still Standing. And we basically went through our website, went through Google Analytics. We said, what are our articles that get the most traffic and Mm. what are the categories they're in? And they were in six categories. Things like communication, infidelity, intimacy, money. Right. It was like a, a very blended families, like a very specific list. Yeah. So we made a documentary.
0: There's your table of contents right
2: there. Hey, we got six couples. And guess what they talked about? The six topics that people came to the website and engaged and read the most. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was one of our most popular actual marriage marriage films. And then we talked about it. We talked about their stories. But then again, we started creating resources around it. So in the beginning, it just was, hey, entertainment. Here's a movie. But then we had a movie. Then we had the ebook, Then we had courses around each one of these topics on the website. We begin to get more advanced. So we begin to segment on the website better. So when somebody came and they would read an article and they were reading an article on, let's say, infidelity and cheating. We had a lead magnet that was specifically about infidelity and cheating. Right. We Mm -hmm. would tag them in our CRM that, hey, this person is interested in infidelity and cheating or they probably wouldn't be reading this article about infidelity and cheating makes sense so then also when we're creating movies around those topics then we have a segment of our list that we can speak to about the movie but speak to them specifically in the actual lane that they're challenged from yeah talk
0: to them and they add copy whatever the email copy specifically around that for exactly around
2: at the yeah. same time of course we've got the facebook pixel on the site mm-hmm. so then we have custom audiences going where this is a custom audience of people that are interested in infidelity content this one is blended family content money content Mm -hmm. So then when we need to actually advertise the movie, we can go after those segments, create lookalike audiences and know exactly what the pain points these couples were facing. Perfect. So how did this transition
0: over? Like this is a, this is a scalable model, but not quite as scalable as I think where you're at right now. Like this is, you know, you're handcrafting this whole thing, really. I mean, you're doing it through blogging. You're obviously, you're looking at your analytics, all lessons that you, the listener, should be doing with all of the stuff that you're doing in your online business anyway. But when did were you able to really sort of scale it up and sort of transition away from the relationship side into what you're doing now? Or is the relationship stuff still, is it still going full bore, it's, even though you're sort of pivoted a bit yeah, in your so direction?
2: Great, great question. What we had to do first is we had to stabilize the first brain before we turned to the second. Okay. And I think a lot of times, right, entrepreneurs get all these ideas and all these things you want to do. And And as you get more successful, more opportunities just fall in your lap. So people kept coming saying teachers, trainers, and and entrepreneurship was really the thing I was even more passionate about than marriage and relationships. So I wanted to do it, but it really took about another year or two for us to really stabilize the original brand, to get all the automations running, to get all the systems in place, to get it. So, you know, like I said, the content was kind of running on autopilot Mm -hmm. um, and things were kind of moving on that path before we shifted gears because we knew that if we shifted without... firm foundation all of that would have fell apart right so once we did that it took about a year to to stabilize everything like i said people coming to us saying hey like we've been to the screenings we remember when it was like 100 people in the theater now it's 500 we've seen all the press like we've seen all the things teach us how to do what you did and it it really began to transition then on that side to okay we can take all the things we've learned on that side and then transition them to a new audience and really teach them from the things that we've done the lessons we've learned the good the bad and the ugly so mm-hmm. they can be successful, but they can have success fast.
0: How did you do that without alienating the base, or was it just like, hey, but you're, was this? You were all, were you on the Facebook page yet? Were you on the Facebook group? Like, how did that all sort of happen? Because sort of the next step of the evolution really is the Facebook group,
2: correct? Interesting question, Ralph. I was faced with a stark reality, and that stark reality I was faced with was that. The people that it came to us with marriage and relationship information did not care anything about us talking business. Now, my thinking was, hey, we have That was my bigger question. (laughs) We (laughs) have half a million people. We have half a million people here, right? So, oh, this is about to get crazy. This is going to be so easy. Mm -hmm. I'm showing that half a million, a lot of them, even if they aren't full-time entrepreneurs, have side hustles. They would like to make their main hustle and grow. Mm -hmm. But everything we tried to do business focused with that audience flopped. And what we learned was that those people that came to us for that specific thing, in their eyes and in their lens, that's what they knew us for and that's what they wanted. Mm. So this new brand, literally, we had to almost start a brand new brand from scratch. Okay. Because everything we were doing with the marriage brand, like they did not want to hear. I don't want to hear about your business. I don't hear about your traffic. I don't want to convert more sales. Tell me about this communication. Mm-hmm. How can we be more intimate? Mm-hmm. How can we raise Infidelity, these kids? All that stuff. Exactly. So we really had to build a new brand. And, and what we did, most of was going out and, again, using what we did in the first one as case studies. Mm-hmm. And, and it allowed us to show that, hey, again, we all know that that what's important is that no like trust factor. Sure. And it gave us equity in our community to say, hey, look at the work we've already done. We've already been doing good work. So we've already been here established in, in supporting and providing and uplifting the community. In addition, what it also allowed us to do is have a ton of case studies from our own experience. Sure. You know, in, in a time where so many people are, are teaching and training on so many things they haven't actually done, we were able to say, hey, this is how we got hundreds of couples to go on a cruise. Hey, right. this is how we did a six-figure pre-sale of a documentary. And you may not have a documentary, but you got an ebook, you got a book, you got something and we can do it. These are emails that work well. These are sales pages that didn't. And the community really gathered towards that message and it resonated with them. Hmm. So
0: separate community for yes. this new niche. So the relationship side is still on the blog. Is it over on a Facebook group at this it's, point? Or this
2: is where you're sort of transitioning it's, it's into a, it? It's a Facebook page still. It's okay. not a group. It's a Facebook page. We still post content there regularly. People still engage with the content. Mm-hmm. People still read articles and, and you know, buy products and different things from it. But like I said, this is a totally different community that we started in a group at the time. We knew, by the time we started this, we knew, the right was on the wall for Facebook pages because <laughs> mm-hmm. we already saw the decline in organic and everything going down. Yeah, so we said, you know what? Let's create a group, create a community. Year about what? This is about twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Yep. So twenty fifteen. We were making that transition and begin to really get people in, engage with them, hone in on them, create uh, content, let them know that we were listening, and, and we had to heavily curate. Even now, we still have to heavily curate that group mm-hmm. because most entrepreneurs, I think, to come in an entrepreneurs group, come in very self-serving sure. to promote themselves. Sure. And I think that's the number one thing that turns people away from most entrepreneur groups online is that, hey, I want to learn something. I want to engage. I want to network with people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see people posting their version of digital flyers, right? you know, online the whole time. So right. so uh, heavily curating it to make sure it's full of value, full of nuggets. That's not you at this point. This is somebody No, exactly. Yeah, it's a team, yeah, it's team yep. that we have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it works well. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So that transition, how did you gain momentum on a Facebook group? If somebody says, "All right, well, this is great," uh, I know Facebook groups are a powerful way to create community, especially today. How did you do it? Making that transition, learning obviously lots and lots of lessons, doing it, yeah. you know, more handcrafting it all the way through in the marriage and relationship side. How did you start to gain some momentum on the on the Facebook?
2: Group? For us, early on, building that community, a lot of it was was word of mouth for other people. Right? We started with, like I said, uh, consistency content. Creativity and really built a culture in the group. So, a lot of it was was word of mouth, us prompting people to literally bring their people with them, right? Hey, if you enjoy the group, make sure you tag 10 people, invite 10 people or 20, 30, 40 people and get them in the group, doing giveaways. But not from the marriage and relationship. Not side. from the marriage, like, like totally kind so of new community people. Tried that, didn't work. It did not work. It, right. it failed. it probably alienated someone. <laughs> like, what are these guys doing this exactly? Other crap for? Ex- exactly. It it came for here. Got it. It. They're like, we're not here. So, a lot of organic in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Building great content. We started doing uh webinars and we started doing the events i started with a online course mm-hmm. that we created so so we were starting to build some traction in this space of, of telling people okay how you can kind of build and grow online and and, and work your business through those, those ways and as we were doing webinars and different things like that we would share the group and, and people if i was speaking on the stage and they saw me if i was doing a webinar and they saw me always having that call to action for them to say, hey if you like this We got a free group that's full of tons of resources and things like that, and they came in and did it. And then we later on learned that, okay, we could do things like online challenges. We can do things like online summits and testing different mechanisms, digital mechanisms that we could use to say, all right, let's go from getting, you know, a few people a day to hundreds of thousands of people within short amounts of time, but still making sure when they get in that group, we have to over-deliver. We have to blow them away. We have to serve them so that as soon as they get here, they realize the space is different.
0: Gotcha. Was there paid advertising behind that at that point?
2: No. At that point later on, yes. Yeah. Yes. At that point later on. But it was not directly to the group. Like I said, most time it was to a webinar. It was to an online summit that we did. Now we do a lot of online challenges. So we do, you know, the the paid traffic to something that allows us to actually capture Got that it. first name, that email address, that text number so we can SMS, send text messages. Mm-hmm. But then as a byproduct, the second step, we want to move them into the group because that's where all the community is. Got it. And most of the conversion from that initial
0: opt-in, that initial engagement came through what email sequences, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. To get them into the group, obviously use, you know, exactly live, certainly helps. Okay. So opt-in free opt in webinar, something that they're interested in. What was the what was the front end
2: bait for them? Was it a case study of how you guys were able to do certain things? Yeah, a lot of times it's, it's, it's what's working, is you know, how we built this audience, how we did a six-figure pre-launch, you know, how we've been able to grow and scale this other online brand and people wanting to connect and learn with that. You know, we, we would oftentimes meet therapists and counselors and say, hey, you know, they've been going to school for this. This is like what they do, what they do. And they're like, hey, you got just a husband and wife mm-hmm. and I'm struggling for clients and you guys have like all these people. Like, how does, how does that work? and How does that happen? Ah, uh, OK. You know, even we we were in a marriage space to go back to some of the lessons that we, we've learned in places like this over the years, we were doing it because we were passionate about it. Right. What we found out later on, once we got into it, was that there were nonprofits, federally funded nonprofits that were getting millions and millions of dollars to talk to the same couples we were. And they couldn't because the couples wouldn't listen because they didn't know how to market to them. Hmm. During the uh, Bush administration, like I said, it was 2007, 2008, like those around that time during the Bush administration, they had... Money set aside for what they call healthy marriage initiatives. Mm -hmm. And they said, all right, if we can help marriages stay together, those will provide healthy families, healthy families provide healthy communities, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. What would happen is these nonprofits would say, hey, if you're married, we want you to come out, we're having a healthy marriage seminar. They say it's going to be free. They say, if you have kids, we'll give you a child care stipend. If you drive, we'll give you a gas card. We'll feed you dinner while you're here. And if you're married, we'll actually put you up for a night at the hotel. So you can have a date night. Guess what? Most of the time they had to actually cancel (laughs) these events because nobody would sign up. And when we looked at it, again, they would come to us and say, how are you guys doing what you're doing? Hmm. And we looked at it and we said, well, for one, the language that you're using is all wrong. You're not connecting with anybody. They Mm -hmm. were using brochures and materials a lot of times that may come from the headquarters in one state, but it looked nothing like the actual people they were serving in this other community. They were calling everything healthy marriage. And we were telling them like, we've never had a couple say I'm tired because this marriage just isn't healthy enough. (laughs) You know, a couple (laughs) said, I'm tired of fussing and fighting. I'm tired of arguing. I I can't trust you. I don't know what you're doing with the money. Like, so, so again, the core fundamentals of marketing, what's the language that we're using? Who are the people that we're speaking to? What's their belief systems? Where are they at? Are they frustrated? Are they sad? Are they happy when they come into contact with us in this product or service? Mm-hmm. And being able to just get granular and clear on those things and then moving beyond that. So we do the same things that we did in the marriage space, in the business space, and it's beginning to take off.
0: So interesting that you were targeting those counselors that you were actually <laughs> probably outperforming <laughs> through the stuff that you guys were doing on your own. Obviously, a good group to talk to initially, but then it was more widespread with you know African-American business owners. Exactly. How did it become more widespread? And then talk to me about your your monetization strategy at that point. Sure. Obviously, you're not doing this for free.
2: Exactly. We begin to see entrepreneurship as a vehicle and catalyst for our community, for our entire African-American community, Mm -hmm. where we said we can use this. We can help build up entrepreneurs. We can close the wealth gap. We can create more jobs. We can lower the unemployment rate. And we feel like entrepreneurs are the ones that can do all of that. So we said, hey, you know, what? we're going to create the content. We're going to give them the information, give them the knowledge, give them the next steps of what they actually need. So we, we broadened up, like I said, the marriage and therapists, they were already watching us from the original brand. So that was kind of low hanging fruit right. that we began to start with. But, you know, uh, we went on to work with beauty brands and coaches and consultants and all types of different folks. Uh, where, of course, you know, and originally they would come in and say, what, you know, does this work for me? I don't know if this <laughs> my thing is different. Right. That's what everybody says. But we sure. were able to show them that the fundamental core pieces of business are the same no matter what you do. Pretty much.
0: Got it. And how do you curate in, in the Facebook group? Like, what what kind of stuff is it? Mostly user generated content at this point, or like it it or is, or is it you guys posting
2: stuff and case studies and things that we've done? Great question. So in the beginning, right, I think it's heavy on the actual curator of the group. What right. I tell people all the time is that only a small fraction of that group will ever engage mm-hmm. actively, right? Sure. So I say if you know if you got you know, a thousand people. You might have a hundred that are actually active in the group, liking things and sure. hearts and emojis. Lots of and, yep. Yeah, exactly, doing that type of thing. Out of that one hundred, you might have twenty that post regularly, and you might have ten that post all the time. Mm-hmm. The problem with most people's groups is they never grow the group large enough so that you hit that tipping point where user generated content becomes a thing. They kind of give up, or they're not posting enough, or they're not engaging enough. So in the beginning where we had to create a lot, had to post a lot. And and when I mean post a lot, I'm not always talking about I'm doing long form videos and these deep dive things. Mm. It could just be a great question mm. that sparks content and engagement and right. Facebook, you know, algorithm sees that allows more people to see it. More and more people Then engage. they come into the group and engage. Mm. But now since the group has grown, now it's to a point where that, you know, 20% of people that ever do anything and that 10% of people that talk in the, you know, five or one, one to five percent of people that talk often, it's just a bigger number.
0: It's a bigger number. Yeah,
2: most people just give up before they get big enough to where other people can talk and have a conversation. You got 200 people in a group, it's just not enough people yet for you to have enough people to actually engage and talk because like you said, most people are wallflowers and they just want to watch the conversations not actually engage in them.
0: So true. So, I think that's actually a good metric. Like, if you have a thousand people in the group, a hundred are going to be engagers, twenty are going to post, maybe ten are going to be like your super posters. Yep. is that? That's a fairly accurate. You're not just spitting those numbers out, but those are things yeah. that you've seen.
2: It's things I've seen. And, mm-hmm. and what we also realize is that you can't just get content with that 10 that are super active mm-hmm. because we've seen is that that 10 or 10 percent changes over time. Uh, you know, it's it's like somebody's uh, super active and then something changes in their life. Maybe they have a kid. Right. Maybe a kid leaves home. Maybe they change jobs, right? So, so you got to be constantly we, growing the group we, to resupply yeah, we, that. It tech. always has yeah. to be new blood coming in. We're always mm-hmm. nurturing the people that are already there and rewarding them. And, and one of the greatest ways you can show reward to people in your group is just by showing attention. Mm. A lot of times it's not like they need physical things. They just love to know that they're part of the community. And just their part. They're an important part. Right. And they like to know that they're seen by the team or the, or the person or Whoever the leadership is, they're mm-hmm. like we see you, we value you in your conversations here. So mm-hmm. oftentimes, those are the people you can really spark as organic ambassadors for you to brand in the group at the same time.
0: Right, right, and that comes back to your moderators or maybe you just exactly. dropping in there every once in a while, you know, just liking, commenting,
2: sharing. You know, you that's, name a, it. that's exactly it. One of the things yeah. we would do in the earlier days to help with consistency, we have we call it like daily features. So, so we would just sit and create. Okay, this is our content. For every week right so every week we'll have some specific theme we would post that theme in a group most of it it would try to be something to spark user-generated content around asking them to post their wins asking them you know what's their goals for the week asking them accountability post did you complete your goals things like that mm-hmm. so once the team scheduled all that things out i needed to go engage a lot more earlier on but mm-hmm. all i had to do was close the loop i didn't have to really post a lot of fresh stuff because we had content that was already posted and then i just had to like people's things or leave a comment congratulations keep going don't give up things like that and then as you know live became more of a thing in live streaming um finding i don't have time to do a lot of it all the time Mm -hmm. but you know picking spots where i can come in and do live content and share something i may have known or give a case study on things that we did or here's a behind the scenes on a launch we did and and giving them a perspective to do a few things right show them that hey we're still not just teaching you But we still actively use the stuff that we teach ourselves. We actually make money with it. And, hey, we can give you some actual tips that you can implement right away.
1: Hey, it's Kasim here, and I have a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your website? Now, I know that sounds crazy, but seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully target your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. That means you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and then safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. I've personally met the CEO, Adam Robinson, and the guy is absolutely brilliant, and He believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for PT listeners. If you are an e-commerce brand that's doing over a million in annual revenue, and you've gone through their easy 30-minute onboarding process, if you don't 5X your investment within the first six months, they will give you all of your money back. To take advantage of this offer, go to getemails.com forward slash scalable. That's getemails.com forward slash scalable. Hey, PT listeners, when's the last time your business published on its blog? If the answer is
0: that's way too long for me to remember... I want you to listen up because our friends at BKA content have a new service where they'll deliver fresh blogs to your inbox. And all you have to do is just post them on your site. Now these articles are all originally written just for your business. They're not generic articles that are just copy and pasted or thrown into some AI software or written by a VA. No, these are professional writers who are going to sit down and write articles just for your business. We've used them in the past, and they're absolutely fabulous. Now, if you want an extra reason to go try them yourself, BKA is giving PT listeners half off their first month. Just go to bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual to get started. That's bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. So you build the community. You've now built a number of different communities and different platforms. Like, There's a lot of community building going on here. We're focusing really on the stuff most recently, which is the Facebook group, then how do you monetize it? Like how do you, like people can create these large communities. I mean, in essence, Facebook was just one big community and did sort of what you're talking about here on just a massive scale. Build a whole community where you know, like, and trust. And then all of a sudden they started monetizing with advertising. So how did you do it with your own products so that you're not, that's a tough transition. It's all of a sudden, I'm in here and I'm getting all this great content. You know, I've got good curators i've got good moderators i've got like the active 10 percent. but now they're going to be
2: pitching me stuff like how does it
0: how did you make that transition because if you don't do it right you can end up really alienating a lot of people in that group so how'd you guys do it
2: so with us we developed a flywheel system where our very first step when people come in is we blow them away with the super engaged super value packed and content packed community where Mm -hmm. people come in, they ask questions, they get answers. There's a lot of communities you want to ask questions, but you don't actually get answers to. But we've created this culture where people want to help other people. So they come in, they ask questions, they get answers, and they say, okay, this space is different. From that online community, this is one of the keys. We drive to offline events. There's nothing, nothing, nothing like in-person connection. So we do two conferences a year. Back before we started doing a conference, before the conference got big, I would go to little cities and do pop-ups and things like that. But the goal was to get those people from in that Facebook group online, offline. And once you get them offline so they can connect directly with me, they could see what, you know, me and the team were able to do. They could connect with each other. And that really strengthened those online relationships and built, you know, a new and stronger community than the one we had already online. And then once we take them from online to offline, the next thing we want to do is we want to present some type of continuity program. And that's what we learned because we didn't do that the first time out with the actual marriage model. We had, 40,000, 50,000 customers that didn't have a high order value, a high customer lifetime value. We've been doing that now. So we want to get them in some type of a continuity program where, you know, we, we do the work once we introduce them in, but we can paid continually over and over and over again with them. Mm. So,
0: so that's like a higher and a higher value community outside uh, uh, of the Facebook group.
2: Yeah, exactly. Originally okay. it was a 12 month mastermind program that we ran did now has grown. It's about a $20,000 a year program for 12 months so we were doing that, and we started with that. Like on the on the marriage side, we started with these like twenty dollar, twenty five dollar DVDs. We said, "All right, we've done it that way, doing mass volume to a lot of people for a low amount. Let's start with a higher ticket actual offer." And we started with just be ten thousand the first time we launched it, and now it's growing to twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. But by doing that, like I said, we were able to make a lot more money with a lot less people because yeah. we didn't have that half million people that we thought we would bring over. They didn't come. Sure. So we were able to sell something high ticket that we weren't having to have the same volume of people to get in for. Got then it. once we built that, that grew, that became a core thing. And then we started realizing that we've created so much content that's laying around, trainings that we did for them, sessions that we did, right? Event content. And we said, we got to repurpose this. So we repurposed it, made an actual membership site, made it a lower tier because we had people in the community that were in the group coming to the events that said, I want to be in the mastermind one day, but I'm not ready yet. And okay. then we created a lower tier membership for them, $99 a month. So, oh, so, you created the high end first and the then went first. back and did yep. the 99. The high okay. end first, yeah. And I'm so glad we did actually. Mm. I think a lot of times individuals think that I have to start low and work my way up, mm. but we actually did it the other way and it made us a much more profitable brand by yeah. doing it in that manner. Mm. To where we would have had to been scrapping $99 <laughs> at, a, at a time, right? One after one after one, we were able to just, you know, take these. $10,000 clients and then fifteen, and then, you know, up to $20,000 clients mm-hmm. and get them in to really solidify the revenue and the profitability of the brand. And then, like I said, go from there to say, okay, who are the rest of the people that we're not serving, create them an offer. And and it worked well because now the people coming in at the lower dollar offer, they already see the hire program and they come in saying, I want to be there. Right. It's not something we got to sell. They already sold on that. They just don't have the resources the right now. Is implied. Exactly. Mm. So they can come into like the you Elon
0: them. Musk of the info space, really.
2: <laughs> no, seriously. Like he
0: created the two hundred fifty thousand dollar electric car. Like everyone's going to like the Prius, the thirty thousand. He's like, no, I'm going high end. Then I get the hundred thousand S, and then I get the X, which is like at sixty. And now he's got the three, which is like at thirty k. So filling it in, but the profitability comes from the top exactly. end to fund. All the That's 99ers it. and then the Ascension path. Is, it's, it's a lot of southwest. things
2: we wouldn't have been able to do with the brand if we would have started on the low end and tried to work our way up. Or mm-hmm. We we wouldn't have been able to do them as fast. Right. We were doing events. We do events, like I said, twice a year, January and June. But in the events, we were able to grow them. We were able to you know, move to better hotels, get more people in, right. hire better speakers and all these things. But it all was because we were selling this high ticket program mm-hmm. that could basically incorporate the cost and absorb the cost of whatever that was. We couldn't have done it with the low ticket program, and yeah. even and even still, once we had community and launched the low ticket program, we still had to learn how to sell it. Because mm-hmm. the first few ways we tried to sell it still flopped, and it wasn't until you know we kept trying different ways. Because oftentimes, I think people don't realize you could have the right product to the right people, but if you're not selling it the right way, they still won't buy still it. So like we that. had to figure out which was the way, and kind of scramble around the tiles till we said, okay, this is the way we get them in. Online challenges, what works great for this, and then moving from there.
0: Interesting. So get them online to offline. The obvious question for a lot of people is like, well, why would I actually have to go offline? Why can't I just do a webinar and then, you know, book a call and then a sales guy and the whole sort of five figure sale? Have you guys done that as well for that the higher end mastermind or
2: we found that didn't work? So we did some of it over the last year because we couldn't have the in person events. And what I've realized is before, it was a hypothesis. <laughs> it was like just, just my thoughts of what I was going on, and it basically was confirmed this year that the connection is different. Yeah. Because when they came through our events, the other thing that happened is that was their indoctrination yeah. into who we are, into what we do, into the level that we actually serve. It's and serve committed the time at. anyway.
0: There's a time commitment. Exactly. There's a travel commitment. commitment. Yeah. Did you do like pop-ups in different cities around? Uh, originally, we
2: did, but over the last few years, just been like the two main events that we do in Atlanta twice a year. Gotcha. And and like I said, we knew that event served as many of them indoctrination when they would come and they would see us and they would see the quality of the speakers, the content. It was easy. Yeah. Last year, when we had people that were joining just virtually, we had some people that were not good fits for the program. And I am 100% clear that it was because they did not come through that same indoctrination process yeah. of coming. I mean, when, when someone Nothing comes Nothing
0: beats at, the face-to-face. Yeah, it's like
2: know, when someone comes to traffic and con- conversion, like, the relationship is different. It's fundamentally different. Yeah, right. like, when we first came...
0: Our, and your ask can be greater. Right. And well, the chances of it being a good match are that much higher. That's totally
2: it. My wife and I first started coming to the event, like, it changed our relate. Actually, a, a great real-life example, I had saw products that digital marketing sold. Mm -hmm. i saw them online i I got the office i got the emails the first products i bought the machine and Mm -hmm. you know things like that i bought them because i came to the conference physical i heard a conversation on the stage and i went out to the booth and i purchased
0: Yep.
2: it's just different like you know it's still a lot it's a lot you can do we've learned a lot you can do virtual there's nothing like people getting together face to face
0: well i always joke with ryan is that the first digital product i ever bought from digital marketer was 43 split tests for i think 27 <laughs> and then i got invited to the machine in austin and at that event they pitched war room and i bought war room <laughs> <laughs> so I went from 27 to 30k I, overnight almost within like a couple of years yeah. but it was the physical
2: event exactly
0: absolutely you can't beat it But, you know, it's more work. Yes. There's more logistics. But, you know, I think that's a good lesson for the listeners here is that, like, you can't shortchange any of this sort of stuff. I mean, obviously, you you wouldn't be able to have that ask even at the physical event if you hadn't created the community side of the equation to begin with. So, like, that's the basis. You did it multiple times. So, this has been tremendous, really. I really appreciate you coming on the show here today. Uh, to Show your entire journey. Where can people get in touch with you? This has been... uh, Pretty awesome story.
2: Sure. They can find out more about what we do at www.trafficsalesandprofit.com. They can follow me on Instagram just at Lamar Tyler, L-A-M-A-R-T-Y-L-E-R.
0: Trafficsalesandprofit.com. An A-N-D
2: A N D profit? A-N-D, yep.
0: That's a damn good URL. You gotta hold on to that one. <laughs> I was surprised it was available. <laughs> <laughs> pretty lucky. Well, Lamar Tyler, thank you for coming on uh, this week's show. For all the stuff that we mentioned here in this week's episode, Head on over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 328. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for lunch. So we're <laughs> yes, ending sir. this show. Tyler, thanks again for for Lamar. Come, on, Thanks for coming on here today's show. Get over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Until next show, see ya.